0: Good morning, everyone. All right, a couple of you awake. It's hard on these cloudy days. Man, just sun's not out shining, and how in the world are you supposed to, like, wake up and get out of bed? I don't know. What gets me up out of bed right now is a robin who thinks that there's another robin that he has to attack, but it's actually the window right underneath my window. And so every morning for the last couple of weeks, it's just, bam, Bam! And I go outside and I yell at the robin, but it doesn't work. But that's what's been waking me up. But anyway, good morning. Uh, if you have a uh, first-time visitor with us, we are so glad that you're here. My name is Aaron, uh, the pastor for Riverwood. And uh, just very grateful to Sam and, and Riley and Michelle for uh, leading us in worship today, especially with Jeff and Linnell gone. Uh, so guys, thank you very, very much for being willing to step in and, and lead us. And it's my privilege and pleasure to get to uh, take us into our next part in this His Story series that we are looking at. And I want to start by telling you about something that happened 15 years ago. I was at the uh, Dulles Airport in Washington, D.C. with my friend Tom. We had just gone to a conference together, and we were on our way to return back to Cedar Rapids. When all of a sudden Tom says, hey, that's Joe Theismann. Now, if you don't know who Joe Theismann was, he was a famous quarterback for the Washington Redskins. I shouldn't say was. I think he's still alive. Uh, But anyway, he was an amazing quarterback, led them to the Super Bowl. His probably most famous story is when he got tackled by Lawrence Taylor and his leg snapped in two. It was pretty disgusting to to look at. If you want to have your stomach churned in uh, all sorts of knots, just go on YouTube and watch it, and you can see it in all its glory. Anyway, Tom says, that's Joe Theismann. And all I see is is some guy kind of hoofing it through the airport, but he's all by himself. Like, there's no entourage around him, no one asking for autographs, no one wanting selfies. This guy's just moving through. And all of a sudden, Tom says, hey, let's follow him. And I'm sitting there like, what? we got a flight. You know, and and all of a sudden, Tom takes off. and So I pick up my carry-on and... I start going with him, and we're, like, following this guy through the airport. I mean, there, there's nothing creepy about this at all. And Tom's, like, hoping that, that Joe will stop at a, a, you know, drinking fountain or stop to buy a magazine. Something so that we can actually, like, meet Joe Theismann. I'm still not convinced that it's actually Joe. But if it was Joe, he could move. I mean, he was just walking, and he was, like, going at a super brisk pace. I mean, it was, like, the last two minutes of the game, and, you know, he's got to get back to the huddle to call the play. And he just keeps right on going until he reaches a security checkout and he goes out to leave the airport where we had to stop and turn around. And, and Tom was just like, oh, we could have met Joe Theismann. And all I could think was, what would we have done if we'd met Joe Theismann? Because I mean, I'm from Iowa. I don't run into celebrities very often. You know, it's not like we're just popping into them all the time, go, oh, another celebrity. Oh, great. So I, I didn't know what we'd do. Like, would we go mute? I mean, I've heard some people, they, they don't know what to say. Others, they stammer, they stutter. They, oh, I, I, oh, hi. You know. Others, they start talking really, really fast, and they get really high-pitched because they get really excited because they can't believe they're in the presence of someone so great. Or, or some people, they say that they actually say something really stupid. Like, hey, uh, you, you, you've got great eyebrows. Oh, I don't know. What do you do when you run into someone famous? The celebrities are all over the place, though. It just depends on the industry, the area that you're in. If you love the movies, you know all the big movie stars. And you probably read the websites and you get the magazines. And and you are always hearing about their big movie. And you, to them, they're famous. But if you never go to the movies, if you're not reading much, you probably have no clue who these people are. And, And yet, there are all sorts of celebrities that you aren't even aware of on YouTube, there are people who have millions of followers. They, they'll post one video, and within just hours, it'll have millions of views. And yet that person can go out on the street and probably just talk to anyone and everyone, and most people have no clue who they are. Or, or even think about it, like your local TV weatherman. Like if you're out at a restaurant and you see him, you kind of like go, oh my goodness, like, that, that, he's famous. You know, like, should I go get his autograph? Do I get a selfie? Oh, we're in a restaurant. I probably shouldn't bug him. But yet, if he goes somewhere else, like to California, no one's going to know who he is. He can just walk around and mill about like normal. Believe it or not, this celebrity even extends into the church. There are pastors who pastor churches that have tens of thousands of people in attendance that are there to listen to their teaching. And then there's book publishers who will contact them and say, hey, would you take some of your sermons and put them into a book? And so they do. And the book sells a bunch And makes the publisher a lot of money. And so because they're selling all these books and they preach to tens of thousands, these are the pastors that get invited to speak at the conferences. And so then you get a bunch of non-famous pastors who will go to this conference to sit and listen to the celebrity pastor. And they walk away like on a cloud going, wow, that was amazing to be in the presence of such a famous person. I got to go to a conference that was very unique. It was called the Elephant Room my friend Jason Poling, who some of you got to meet Jason when he preached here just a few weeks ago, he took me to this conference, it was in Chicago, and we thought we were gonna get to go and watch these seven celebrity pastors have these conversations, but really what it was, was we he ended up buying tickets to be in the studio audience. It turned out that this was a conference that was being simulcast all around the nation. And so we're in this TV studio, which was a large TV studio, But compared to most conferences you go to, it was actually quite small. And so we are right there in the room with all these celebrity pastors. And the format was that they would have different sessions where they would put two pastors who were on different ideological spectrums. They believed theologically some similar things, but how they went about doing ministry was different. And then there would be a debate with one of the other pastors serving as a moderator. We get in there, we sit down, and you realize, like, we are right there with them. To the point that, I mean, we could see all their facial expressions. I mean, we could see, like, you know, if they'd shaved that day or if they had a zit. I mean, we were right there with them. But it also meant that they could see us, which led to a couple of awkward moments. One of these celebrity pastors, who I will allow to remain nameless, ends up getting seated at a place where just over his, sh- over his like, partner, the guy he's debating with, over the shoulder was me. And for whatever reason, he decided to not talk to the other pastor. He decides to talk to me. And I'm sitting there thinking, why is he looking at me? Like, he will not break eye contact. I'm getting really nervous. Like, I'm trying to figure out, does he think he needs to convince me of his point? Like, uh, is it like, maybe I'm a friendly face and he feels encouraged looking at me? Maybe I've got a booger in my nose. I don't know. I, it was so awkward. Then something else happened that was really awkward. After the sessions would get done, the host would come out, he'd stand in front of the camera, he'd talk to the other sites that were going on, and they'd say, now we're going to pass it back to you. And then they would be telling us all to applaud, and then they would shut the cameras down, and then the host would turn and talk to all of us. And almost every single time, he would say, all right, thank you so much for being here. The next session is going to be starting at such and such time. What we'd like you to do, though, is remain seated so that we can let our pastors make their way out, and then we will let you go. Basically, what they were doing was letting the famous pastors get to the green room so they didn't have to mingle with us non-famous pastors. But as the celebrity pastors were making their way out, suddenly these like grown adult men, mostly, there were a few women in the room, would start calling out the names of these celebrity pastors like, hey, hey. And suddenly it was like they got reduced into little schoolgirls who were suddenly in the presence of Justin Bieber. I mean, it was so awkward and weird. Even pastors can act weird around celebrities. The reason we're talking about celebrities today is because of the ancient Israelites, Moses had become such a celebrity to the point that they even acted weird around him. Moses got so big that the people almost began to get to the point of worshiping him. In fact, in Deuteronomy 34, the, the kind of Moses's obituary It even says that Moses goes into the hills and he was 120 years old. He had all his strength left. He had great eyesight. He could still lead, but God said, nope, you're done. It's time. And in the mountains, all alone, Moses died. And it says that God hid his bones. One pastor I was listening to this week as I was studying up for this message, he said that he believes that the people would, if they knew known where his bones were, would have dug them up and even worshiped them or like touched them, thinking there were like healing powers in them because they got weird around celebrities. Now, Moses was not always a celebrity to the people. There, there were times where they actually hated him. Uh, you could go into the scriptures and you can even see times where they're like, all right, that's it. We can't stand this guy. Coup attempt. We're gonna overthrow him. Let's find some other leader who will take us back to Egypt and put us back into slavery. That sounds like a good idea. We can't stand this Moses guy. But eventually, through the various miracles that he did, through the teaching that he did, the people came to a place where they began to respect and even revere Moses. He became a celebrity. I don't think we realize just how big Moses became. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to see just how big Moses really was in his day and age and to the entire Jewish faith. What I also hope you see is that as large and as big as Moses had become, he actually is a shadow of someone even better, of Jesus. And we're today gonna see how Jesus is the true and better Moses. So Father, we just pray right now, you would open our hearts and our minds to what you want to say, that as we go and look at the man of Moses, this, this great man of history, and how much you used him and all that you did in him and through him, that really his life ultimately pointed to Christ. And God, I wanna see that for every single person in this room, that their lives would point to Jesus. And so, Father, today, would you just help us to become more in love with Jesus? No matter where we're at in our spiritual journey, for those that have questions today or those who've been following for a long time, that they would see Jesus even more clearly, and that each and every person here would want to draw closer and closer to the greatest celebrity of all, because it's all about Jesus. So, Father, I pray that you'd open our hearts and minds to what you want to say today, and in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. All right, today we are going to be in Deuteronomy. So if you want to turn to the fourth book, go ahead and open to Deuteronomy. Chapter 18 is where we're gonna go. But I'm just gonna warn you, it's gonna be a little bit before we actually get there. So if your fingers get tired of holding the Bible, you can you can wait a bit, okay? We're gonna end up in Deuteronomy 18, but we're gonna kind of look at Moses some first. We're gonna end up in Deuteronomy 34 for just a little bit. But don't worry, we'll eventually get to chapter 18. But what I wanna to do to get really started is I want us to look at just how great Moses was. We've we've been looking at Moses for the last few weeks as part of this series. But I want us to not just look at like one story and see one thing he did. I want us to kind of get a big picture view of him. So here's a quick recap of some of what Moses did. In Exodus chapter 2, We see Moses getting adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter, which meant he grew up in the house of Pharaoh. So he would have been trained to be a leader, which would come in handy as God was going to use him to lead the Israelites for many, many years. In Exodus chapter three, we learned how he was out in the wilderness. He learned to survive out there, which also was going to come in handy as he was going to have to lead the Israelites in the wilderness for about 40 years. Also in Exodus three, we see his call this call to rescue the Israelites from slavery. It comes through that miraculous moment where the bush lights on fire and yet doesn't burn up. And God speaks through this burning bush. And he receives this call, this huge responsibility to go and lead these 600,000 people out of slavery from Egypt. And he was going to have to confront the Pharaoh. And that's what we see beginning in chapter four. He, he keeps going to the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And at, And each time he does, you almost can see Moses just growing in strength of character and strength of leadership. He he started off having so much doubt, so much that he's like, God, I can't do it. And God's like, all right, I'll make you look like a God. I'll make Aaron look like your prophet. Your brother Aaron was the one who will stand before Pharaoh and talk. But as it keeps going and going, you just see Moses growing as a leader and becoming bold and brave. Eventually, then, in chapter 12 of Exodus, you see Moses actually lead the people out of Egypt. And when they do, they actually plunder the people. The the Egyptians just, like, give them all their gold and everything. Like, here, just take it. And Moses then leads them out. Uh, Chapter 14 of Exodus, you see them walk through the Red Sea. I I mean, this took faith. The, The Red Sea parts and walls of water, and there's the land. And then Moses, by faith, walks through, trusting that God won't cause it to crash back down on them. He leads by faith. In chapter 15, you see another moment of faith. Uh, The people were thirsty. They come to this water, and it's really bitter. And God says, throw a log onto it. I mean, yeah, right, throw a log onto water, and it's just going to cure it. But by faith, he does it. And sure enough, God uses the log to make the water sweet. And Moses did it by faith. Chapter 17 of Exodus, you see again the people dying of thirst. And so God instructs Moses to strike a rock. He does with his staff, and water begins to pour, pour forth. Then also in Exodus 17, a really interesting story where Israel ends up in a war, and in a battle, and Moses is up kind of on the mountain overlooking it. And as m- long as Moses' arms are raised, the battle starts going in favor of the Israelites. But when his arms start getting tired and he drops them down, suddenly the people start, like the enemy starts overwhelming Israel and starts to win. And it gets to the point that finally the people figured it out. And so Aaron gets on one side and another guy named Hur gets on the other side and they hold his arms up so that the people can win the war and the battle. God uses Moses in this unique way. And then in Exodus 20, you see Moses approach the mountain where God's presence is. There's thunder, there's lightning. I mean, it's really pretty awe-inspiring. It was shocking and awe at its greatest. And Moses goes up and receives the Ten Commandments, and it's the beginning of the giving of the law. Moses, we could go on and on. He was a great leader. God used him in absolutely amazing, inspiring ways, even some strange ways. But as you accumulate all these up, you start realizing why Moses became such a celebrity to the people. Now, he, he wasn't perfect, right? Moses, he, uh, he lost his temper. I mean, he had, he had a pretty bad temper. Um, he actually committed murder. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't expect that of a man of God, but he did. Uh, there were moments where he really wrestled with self-doubt, Uh, This guy was far from perfect. And yet, despite his imperfections, he ended up becoming one of the greatest leaders that Israel had ever seen. That's why his obituary, Deuteronomy 34, towards the end of it, starting in verse 10, it says this, And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. This is how great Moses had become. They'd never seen anyone ever do these things. But that even, even that wasn't all that he did. Moses is known as being the author of the first five books of the Old Testament, save that chapter we just read from, verse 34. Tradition holds that Joshua finished it up. But he, he was an author. We, we know him as a leader, but he was also a judge. We see in the scriptures where the people were bringing cases to him, and he was bringing judgment and exercising wisdom to help guide the people. We see moments where he was almost like a priest. His brother Aaron and, and the Levites, they were supposed to be the priests, and yet Moses, also from the house of Levi, ends up acting like a priest. He loves and cares for the people, shepherding them. But probably his greatest role was that of a prophet. A prophet is the one who brings God's word to the people. And that is how we saw God use Moses a lot. He, it's through Moses comes the Ten Commandments and the law. He speaks to them as a prophet to help guide the people. So you start to understand why Moses had become such a a big celebrity. When I was a kid growing up, the biggest celebrity in sports, and I would probably argue in our culture at the time, was a guy by the name of Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was the star basketball player for the Chicago Bulls. That's a basketball team, in case you don't know, part of the NBA, National Basketball Association. And under Michael Jordan's leadership and talent, the Bulls won six championships. But it didn't stop there. Jordan was a prolific scorer, and so he sometimes would win the scoring title for the season. He was also known for his incredible defense, and so he won awards for his defensive uh, athleticism. He was amazing. That's what led all these companies to want Mike to support them. And so you end up with Nike getting him to do a line of shoes called the Air Jordan. Man, those things were hot when I was a kid. Everyone wanted Jordans. My family, unfortunately, couldn't afford Jordans. And so we got some knockoffs. And uh, my friends called them air pomidas. And uh, I was routinely ridiculed for them. And so I think I only wore them like a half dozen times. I mean, I already got fun of me for a girl's first name and the last name of Bird. So I didn't need to add shoes into the mix. So six times and I was done with the air pomidas. Not only did Michael sell shoes, he also sold drinks. Gatorade hired him to hawk their sports drink, and their commercials were called Be Like Mike. They even had a jingle, a song to go with it. Just head on YouTube, type in Be Like Mike, and you can have that song stuck in your head for the next couple of days. And it would show footage of kids sticking their tongue out, trying to go up, and, you know, they're like seven feet away from the rim of the basket. But they're trying to jam it because they want to be like Mike And Michael was so good that he actually headlined the Dream Team. It was the first Olympic basketball team that allowed professionals to be a part of it. And so alongside of these other NBA stars, Michael and the team just trounced every other country and dominated winning the gold medal that year. This is what allowed Michael to move beyond just basketball to becoming bigger than life to the point that people who didn't even know what the NBA was, didn't know who the Chicago Bulls were, they could care less that he'd won six championships, and yet they knew the name Michael Jordan. So you can imagine the pressure whenever another basketball phenom would come along, and he would get entered into the draft, and suddenly he'd be given the title, the next Michael Jordan. Everyone was always looking for the next. At first it was supposed to be Kobe Bryant, and then it was Dwayne Wade. And I mean, even here now, what, 20, 30 years later, We're still talking about the next Michael Jordan. I mean, it gets applied to LeBron James or Steph Curry or or anyone who begins to look like they have any sort of talent They could just take this whole league and culture upon their shoulders and lead to greatness. People are always looking for the next one. The Israelites realized they wouldn't have Moses forever. Yeah, he was 120 years old, strong as could be. And yet, the book of Deuteronomy is like his final sermon, It's one big, long sermon. And as he's delivering it, the people realize this is it. He's leaving us. Whether he's going to die or God takes him or or just what, this is the end. And they begin to wonder, who is the next Moses? That's why the words in Deuteronomy 18 would have been so comforting to the people. So Deuteronomy 18, look at verse, start in uh, verse 15 with me. Again, this is a sermon. This is Moses talking to the people. And he says, "The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall listen." Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, "Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more lest I die." And the Lord said to me, "They are right in what they have spoken." I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. There's two things that I want to point out about these uh, few verses. The first is this. What the people were longing for, what the people needed, was a word from God and a way to God. A word from God and a way to God. All right, let's take that one thing and we'll put it in two parts here. First, a word from God. Notice in verse 15 that Moses says to them that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. We've already mentioned how a prophet is someone who brings words from God to the people. And that's what these people needed. I mean, without this prophetic word from Moses, without these words from God, the people would have descended into anarchy. They would have headed back to Egypt and just gone right back into slavery. I mean, who knows? They would have killed each other or maybe wandered off. But these words from God helped to bind them together, to bring them together so they could be a people, a nation, and have a relationship with God. These words from God kept them safe. But not only did Moses help bring word from God, he also helped them find a way to God. There was something in the people that longed for God. And you see that in verse 16. that it says, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly. What it's talking about there is the day that all the people got together and that God is about to give the 10 commandments. The Mount Horeb is also known as Mount Sinai. And God descends down upon the mountain and the people are coming. They want this way to God. But as they see the thunder, they see the lightning, they, they, they sense everything. They suddenly are fearful and they begin to draw back Because their sin is so great, they realize they are stepping into the presence of a holy God. They want to come to him, but they suddenly realize they can't. And that's why they kind of go, uh, Moses, you you go ahead. Yeah, yeah, you, you go in there. Uh, good luck. Because they needed a way to God, but they knew they couldn't come themselves. That's why God provided the law. The law was the way to God. This law, whether you start with the Ten Commandments or you just look at it in its entirety, that's what helped bridge the gap, helped to bring these Israelites into covenant relationship with God. This is what brought the connection. So that's what Moses did. He brought the words from God, and he helped bring a way to God. And the people are looking for someone to be the next Moses to help do this. The second thing I want to point out about this passage is that it is also a prophecy. Uh, prophecy, there's two parts to prophecy. Some prophecy is forthtelling. Uh, in other words, it, it's to bring encouragement or correction into a specific moment for specific people or person. All right? That it's forthtelling, it's for that moment. But some prophetic uh, words are foretelling, they're, they're for the future. And even that has a dual aspect. Sometimes that future is just a few hours or days or maybe just a few years away. Sometimes, though, there's a longer-term aspect to it. And it could be centuries, you know, decades, centuries later. The interesting thing, though, is sometimes biblical prophecy can be fulfilled in the short-term and in the longer-term. It's kind of like when you go to the mountains. Anyone here been to Colorado? Okay, yeah, quite a few of you. All right, when you make the drive from Iowa, you got to go across Nebraska or Kansas, and man, that gets boring. But then suddenly, you get about an hour or two out from Denver, and you start looking, and you're like, whoa, I, I, I think I see something. You start seeing the mountains, and as you get closer, they just get larger and larger, and soon you're getting through Denver, and you're starting to make that ascent. And as you make it up, you're thinking, I'm here. I'm in the mountains. And then you come over the pass, and you realize, Whoa. They go on and on and on. That's what prophecy is like. You can hit the first range. It's short term. And yet you can still go longer term and still be in the mountains. This prophecy right here that Moses is giving to the people, short term, it gets satisfied by Joshua. Joshua was a great leader, a really good leader. He was from the people. He he was kind of Moses' right-hand man, so he learned leadership from one of the best. He he loved God. He was a God-fearer. And and as you study Joshua, and we're going to look at him a little bit more next week, but as you study Joshua, you see that that he loved God and God was using him. But You see, most prophets, when they received their word from God, it came like through a dream or in some other way, and then they gave it to the people. But Moses, he would receive his words from God face-to-face. And so Joshua fulfills the short term in a sense. He wasn't this true and better prophet. Because you see, there's a longer term fulfillment to it. And that is the person of Jesus. And as you start realizing that Jesus fulfills this, you suddenly start realizing that that means Moses, as he's saying to the people, God's going to bring one of you, someone from among you, who will replace me, the next Moses. And he is who you will listen to. And he says it in a way, almost as if to say, there is a better, a true Moses who's coming to you. And we see it fulfilled in Jesus. Here's what I mean. Remember, Moses, as a prophet, was to bring words from God. Well, listen to what Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Jesus is saying, I am here to bring the words from God to you. He is the true prophet. Moses also helped provide for the people a way to God. Well, Jesus Listen to what he says right here in the same exact chapter, John chapter 14, verse 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Moses' way to God was through the law. But what centuries had shown the people was that no one was capable of keeping the law entirely, perfectly. Everyone always fell short. That's why there are all these sacrifice systems. You're having to atone for your sins because you couldn't keep the law. And yet Jesus came and said, now you no longer have to come to God through the law. You now come to the Father through me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. You can't get to him except to me. So you got to go through me. So Jesus comes and he brings us the words from God and he helps bring a way to God, revealing that he is the true prophet, the true and better Moses. Now, Moses was a great prophet, but he messed up. In fact, his sin did not allow him to lead the people into the promised land. God allowed him to stand up on a mountain, to look over the Jordan River, and to see it with his eyes, but he didn't get to feel it with his feet. He didn't get to taste of it with his own mouth. He had to release the people and let Joshua lead them in. But Jesus is perfect. Jesus didn't have to send someone else to lead his people into God's presence. Jesus gets to bring us into the true promised land and he leads us himself. It's also interesting to note that Moses, when he received his words from God, he got to go into the tent of meeting and it was like friend to friend with God. But yet he went in alone. However, when Jesus died, that curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from everything else was rent in two from top to bottom, allowing the presence of God to come to the people and the people to come into the presence of God. It's amazing when you begin looking at the life of Jesus, just how much his life mimics Moses, but yet you see him always taking it another step higher. When Moses is born, we discover him lifted out of a humble little basket as a baby. And Jesus ends up getting lifted out of a humble little manger. We see Moses get to be raised as a prince, and yet Jesus we see as a king. Moses, he ends up leading the people out of slavery to Egypt, and yet Jesus leads us out of slavery to sin. And when Moses stood up on the mountain as Israel's at war and he raised his hands, Israel had military victory. But when Jesus raises his arms and has them nailed to a cross, he brings us spiritual victory. Jesus is the true and better Moses. As great as a person as Moses was, he was merely a shadow to the one who was to come. Now, what difference does this make? Honestly, I mean, we can geek out on theology, but what does this even do for life? I mean, you guys have to go to work tomorrow. Maybe stuff's going on at home in your marriage. Maybe you're struggling with parenting a kid. Kids, maybe there's something's going on at school. I mean, okay, it's all great, well and done. Jesus is the true and better Moses. But how's that gonna affect my Monday? this jesus when you live a jesus-centered life when you're seeking after him you realize he's the true prophet and that he brings the words from god and he provides a way to god and god is the creator of life and when you begin to seek god and hear his words you're coming to him you begin understanding how he intended for life to be lived And now you have some wisdom. Now you have some understanding. Now you begin to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. And when you're loving like Jesus, it affects your marriage. When you're living like Jesus, you kind of know a little better how to interact at work. When when you're seeking after the words of God, you gain wisdom in in how to parent. When, When you're seeking to connect with God, it gives you understanding in the relationships in your neighborhood or with extended family. To understand Jesus is the true and better Moses isn't just some academic head thing. It's to be a heart thing. Because when you start understanding it, it changes everything. That is why no matter where you're at on your spiritual journey, I hope that today you see Jesus as the greatest celebrity ever. And as you come to him, you might find yourself so in awe. You might go mute. You might stammer a little bit. You might get excited. You might even say something stupid. And yet, as you do so, you realize that you are in awe. And you're in the presence of greatness. And he looks at you, and he loves you. So let us together come to Jesus May we be Jesus-centered people understanding that he brings to us the words from God and he is the way to God. So Father, I pray right now for my church family, whether this is someone's first time here or their 40th time here, I pray that you're speaking to them and that they sense you're calling them deeper into this relationship with Jesus. Jesus, we say thank you. Thank you so much for going to the cross to create that path to God. But thank you that you came also to tell us about the kingdom, to invite us in, and you bring us into the true promised land. So help us to be Jesus-centered people, God. Help us to seek after you. I pray for the person that this is new. I pray that today they would place their faith fully upon you, that today would be a day of spiritual birth. Their eyes are opened, and they'd surrender their life to you And they would see that you are leading them out of slavery to sin. Lord, I pray for the person that's been following you for a long time. If they're stuck in something right now, pray that they would turn to Christ. And they would see that how you can lead them out. How you provide true spiritual water for them to drink. How you satisfy what they are looking for in life. And I pray for the person that is following after you. They're passionate for you. They're in love with you. You are the greatest celebrity. I pray that you just give them boldness to go and share this amazing news that they would tell everyone that they know the greatest celebrity of all time, that they know Jesus. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray to you. Amen.